I feel like we got in there at the right time. And then this whole shift has happened where people are starting to recognize that the frozen set is somewhere that you go potentially to not have preservatives in your food. Exactly. And that's yeah. Yeah, really powerful. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I am very lucky to have Stacey Marcellus from Capello's on the line with us. So welcome to the podcast, Stacey. I'm really happy to have you here. Mm, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for you to tell our listeners about Capello's if they don't already know about you. I mean, I've been following you guys for a long time. For sure, one of my very favorite booths at Expo. So exciting and so much fun stuff there. So why don't we start by just giving a little background about Capello's. Tell us what it is. Tell us how you started it. Yeah. So Ben and I started Capello's. Ben's a good friend of mine and we started Capello's 11 years ago. We just had our anniversary in earlier in April. And um, wow. congratulations, first of all, that's a big deal. That's a giant amount of time in this world right now. Thank you. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure all of the different, yeah, just everything that's happened since, since the beginning, but yeah, we, so we've been doing this for 11 years and Capello's is a frozen food company. We're out to set a, set a new standard in frozen food. At this point, we have, all of our products are grain-free and the very first line of products that we introduced to the world was an almond flour pasta line. And that's still out in the world today. And more recently, we introduced a, a line of ravioli to go along with that. And that's, yeah, it's a, all based with almond flour. And just, we really focus on nutrition above, above everything. I mean, of course, texture and flavor are very, very important to us, but being able to create products, classic products that have nutritional integrity is, is very important. And we also have a line of pizzas and cookie dough as well. So what's your your best selling product right now in your lineup? At the moment, it is our almond flour crust pepperoni pizza. Wow. Yeah. What about the pastas? How are they doing? Because that was your that was your launch, right? Yeah, they're doing great. For the longest time, our fettuccine was definitely our bestseller. And now the ravioli is really starting to take off. It's it's probably my favorite product that, that we make. Wow. Okay. So talk about why you started Capello's because you're making things that are obviously better for you, but still pasta, pizza. So talk about why. Yeah. So I'll go back, I guess, a little bit before I started the company, I had moved down to Argentina and I had been, I guess, really looking to just expand my own horizons. And down there, I I was on a mission, of course, to to learn Spanish as well. That was part of the reason why I was there. And I got really more into nature than I'd ever been before. You know, I've, I'm from Colorado and I love the outdoors, but being down there, spending a lot of time outside just brought me much closer to, to nature. And I ended up working on a farm and trade for a place to live for, for about half a year. Wow. And so That's when I was... Cool. 
yeah, it was a really, it was a beautiful experience. And I, I definitely was invigorated by that and wanted to, when I returned to the States, it I knew I wanted to do something with food. I wanted to feed people and that experience too, like, you know, my life was, had slowed down in a pretty significant way. And I really, I think what I appreciated about that, the culture down there was the generosity that people had with time. And when I came back to the States, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I I wanted it to be food related, but I was kind of, you know, touching base with friends and kind of like seeing who would give me that kind of time that I had experienced from my friends down in Argentina. And at that point, I reconnected with my friend Ben and I was living up in Vail and he would come up and we'd just spend good quality time together. And I really, you know, appreciated just his perspective on things and, and our friendship. And so, because I was, he and I were both at these kinds of transitional periods in our lives where we didn't know what we were going to do next, but we both clearly wanted to make some sort of a change. And so we started talking about different ideas for a food company. You know, I had pictured something much more simple in the beginning, you know, starting to create food and maybe sell it at farmer's markets. And Ben really wanted to start a brand. And at that point I had gotten much more in tune with my, with the food I was putting in my own body. And my mom had known for a long time that she was very intolerant to gluten. And I later, you know, took a a test and found the same for myself. And so when we started talking about, you know, this brand and a food company and, you know, the idea of maybe making pasta, which was something that I had, I'd learned how to make fresh pasta from the, from the fellow who owned the farm that I lived on in Argentina. And so anyway, we were talking about all these things and it just, it just became really clear that the real need that existed was a better for you product. It started with the idea of it being gluten-free. And then as I started playing with different recipes, I found that almond flour worked the best, like it really made the best pasta. And then at the time, a friend of mine was on the paleo diet and was eating grain-free. And I had no idea what that meant to be quite honest, a foreign language to me. But then when I, and so he had mentioned that he could eat our pasta because it was made out of almond flour and egg mostly. And so as we started giving ourselves an education on, you know, the almost unintentional guardrails that we had put on this product line, we realized that that was really something and that there was more to this movement and it was a way of eating that we wanted to adopt as individuals and felt like that was something that would really be value added to bring to the market. It's interesting that you're using almond flour, I think, because it's not the traditional gluten-free pasta, right? Like mostly people are using lentils and other things to get to gluten-free. So talk about almond flour as a choice. Is it because you wanted it to be like fresh pasta or? Yeah. So I, well, almonds are just an incredible nutritious nut to begin with. And they have this really nice neutral flavor, which I think we all kind of got familiar with when almond milk became a thing. And just the amount of fiber and fat that's in the the almond just provides a fantastic texture and flavor for fresh pasta. And actually, that is how we, we started with fresh pasta is 
the best. We don't want to dry our pasta. And so we started out making fresh pasta, putting it into the refrigerated set and me having nightmares about mold every night. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. And then, so it wasn't too long before we realized that the frozen set was really where yeah. we belonged because we could capture the freshness of the pasta, you know, at its peak moment in time mm-hmm. and it wouldn't lose any of its integrity being in the freezer versus the refrigerator. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it was an interesting choice, I think, that you guys made because fresh pasta is obviously fantastic, but it's not as I would imagine it might not have been have been as big an opportunity had you gone into dried pasta from a volume perspective. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the, the two of us didn't know much about the CPG world when we started the business. And so we just moved forward with what we thought was best, which I'm really grateful for the little, you know, the kind of ignorance that we had in the beginning, because I think it led us to making the best possible products. And certainly it was the path of much resistance. Um sure. But since then also, you know, the frozen set has really transformed. I mean, when we started doing what we're doing, it felt like people still had the feeling about the frozen set that it was just the place that you went for TV dinners. Exactly. And it was for a long, long time. It had the worst reputation in the store, which is wild when you think about it now. Because it's amazing what you can do with in Frozen, right? It's amazing. Better for you, fresher. And it had a really big taboo around it. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like we got in there at the right time. And then this whole shift has happened where people are starting to recognize that the frozen set is somewhere that you go potentially to not have preservatives in your food. Exactly. And that's yeah. Yeah, really powerful. I think so too. So that's cool that you, and you were way ahead. I mean, 11 years ago, frozen was still not, not seen the way it is now as a place where you could have no preservatives and stuff that was frozen when it was fresh. So yeah, I think that's really cool that you guys did that. And I'm sure that the decision now feels really good, but I wonder how did it feel then when you were getting pushed back? Were you nervous or did you just not know what you didn't know? There was an element of not knowing what we didn't know. I mean, I think, yeah, the frozen set, you know, is still a less desirable place for a lot of brands to want to be because of, of course, the supply chain is more challenging and, you know, you sell less units per week than you do in, say, the chip aisle. But it's, yeah, so I, I... I think the challenges weren't harder than anything because we had never experienced another path before. Yeah. So what were the first couple of years like of building the brand and really trying to get distribution and make sure that it got, you got the right kind of trial? We were grinding really hard. We got advice from people along the way. There's no doubt about that. But the first couple of years, I mean, it looked like me at first creating pasta in Ben's kitchen to us getting, you know, a commissary space, which we rented hourly, selling product at the farmer's market. And then we were selling to chefs at restaurants because we had something that that was really interesting to them because, you know, our pasta cooks in, you know, one minute, they had dry pasta that was not very good as their gluten-free option. Yeah. So they were they were pretty excited about it. And for us, it was like, oh, as many people as we can get to taste this, that's that's all we want to do right now to see if we really have something or not. And so at first it looked like that. And then we got more 
professionalized with our packaging. And the very first grocery store we got into was a was a store in in North Boulder called Lucky's Market. And they mm-hmm. really like they walked the talk. You know, a lot of places said that they bought local, but these guys were actually willing to give us a try when we were bringing pasta to them in coolers in the back of our car. So I I give them a lot of credit. But anyway, so it was we realized pretty quickly though, that that was not sustainable. And so we got into a small distributor in Colorado who kind of incubates brands. And then by, by year two, you know, we had been knocking on the door of Whole Foods for, for some time. And we're so tired of people asking us if we were in Whole Foods. It was like, we just have to get there so that we can finally answer. Yes. And so, yeah, at that moment, Whole Foods was still taking brands on region by region, yeah, which was really helpful to us because we wouldn't have been able to provide pasta to the whole country at once. Yeah. Yeah. So we got into the Rocky Mountain region of Whole Foods, and that also meant that we started selling through UNFI. And that was really where the move more quickly in the direction of growth and getting distribution throughout the the whole country and going next region, next region, having anchor retailers all across the country. And, you know, that's opened up the opportunity for us to have other lines of product as well. And yeah, kind of, so the first two years were a lot of, a lot of grinding, a lot of hardship, but it was, yeah, it, it, it set the tone. So I have a question for you that I don't think I've asked anyone yet, but I wonder when you guys decided to start Capello's, what were you wanting the outcome to be? Like, were you thinking long-term? Were you thinking we just need to do something? I want to be in the food business. Were you thinking I want to create a brand that's distributed nationally and eventually like what was, what was the dream? Yeah. Yeah. I think right, right in the impetus, I don't know that we were thinking national or local we weren't thinking in that way yet. We were, you know, still in the moment of thinking like, oh, it would be cool to have a brand and get into some grocery stores and didn't know enough about scale, but it became, it became very clear very quickly that if we wanted to have this brand and we wanted to have a healthy business, Mm -hmm. making a packaged food that we were going to have to scale. And so, you know, the purpose wasn't, the purpose is kind of always evolving in my opinion, you know? And so it was at first, it was like, we want to have this brand. We want it to be better for you. We want to feed people. We want to have this, you know, exchange with people, like even ones that we don't know. And, and that still exists today, but I feel like the purpose is, you know, evolved into being even more widespread. And, and, you know, there was a point to a couple of years in where I felt really saddened by this industry and not to say that I don't still feel that way sometimes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I think that's really interesting. How do you mean sad? Yeah. Just when you, just the system that we've inherited and it's kind of broken, just the idea of having all of our food in packages, like it's maybe started with all of this packaging and mm-hmm. going to places like Expo and just seeing 
excessive packaging and wondering if it's necessary. And then thinking about all the freight that it takes to get food all over the country. And while I appreciate it because we're able to have so many amazing, I struggle with it too. And also the agricultural system and learning more about how important soil health is for the health of the, of our environment is, Mm -hmm. is massive. And so a lot of the, you know, traditional farming practices that are (laughs) being used right now don't feel like they're, you know, net positive for, for the world. And so, yeah, I coming to terms with knowing that we're, we were in a business in a, in an industry that isn't potentially positive for the, the natural world. That's, that's the hardship that I had. And so I found myself feeling like, okay, well, we'll build this business, we'll sell it. And then I'll go out and do something that's more important. And then I, kind of had the shift and realized like, no, if you're going to be making a change at all, then you better be in the industry. That's the, that's a, the biggest offender and maybe not the biggest, but you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely one of the biggest. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And tell me about that. So what, why, so that you could do what you could do. So you could spread the word about like, what is keeping staying in the industry that is an offender I think it's about, you know, the potential of making what maybe feels like a small shift, but one in an industry that's, that really needs small shifts in order to like move in the right direction. And I had had more of a mindset that was more idealistic, I think. And then realizing that, you know, the most, all we're doing here are transitional solutions. And so if there's small things that we can do to move in the right direction that that does matter and then our growth could actually feel purposeful and not just growth for sake of making more money right now the thing that i'm most excited about probably in the business is that yeah i kind of i see organic regenerative practices as the gold standard in agriculture and almonds have always been this big question mark in our business. Can you grow almonds well? They're our hero ingredient. And recently we we partnered with one of our suppliers, Treehouse and Simple Mills and Daily Harvest. And we're all collaborating on essentially supporting Treehouse and and testing some regenerative practices over the next five years for on their almond orchards. And so even though we're not, you know, purchasing regeneratively uh, sourced or almonds today, like being part of a project like that feels really cool. And it's really exciting because if, you know, if it, if we get positive results over the next five years, that will influence the entire almond industry. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was going to say when you were talking, the, I, it probably feels like little things, but the more people that do little things and the more brands that are successful and talk about the things, I mean, it's the conversations happening. It's not, not happening. Five years ago, I would say this conversation on regenerative farming was hardly happening. It was on the real fringe, CPG especially. So now to be part of it, I mean, it is, it just takes time. It just takes time. And the more people we can get to talk about it, I think the faster it will happen. But it is one of those things that 
the conversation is definitely shifting in that direction. And there are more and more CPG brands that are trying to come out as B Corps. And I mean, that wasn't the case five or 10 years ago. It wasn't even part of what we were talking about. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, just being able to imagine a day where those practices get implemented in our agricultural systems and it becomes where you don't have to buy products at a premium because those practices are actually resulting of more life in the soil and therefore better harvest. Like that'll be fantastic. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the dream, right? Because right now it's still very much, there are people who in this country who can have access to that kind of stuff and that kind of food. And then there are tons and tons of people that just don't, they just don't have it yet. Yeah. We can't get it inexpensive enough for the masses. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool what you're doing. I mean, I love it. Talk about the challenges. So what's been really hard for you along the way? Gosh, I mean, it depends on what year we're talking about, right? Sometimes it's hard for me to <laughs> tap back into the challenges. I do a really good job of kind of blocking them so they don't keep traumatizing my life now. Um, so, do I. so do I. I mean, people ask me questions and I'm like, I really don't remember that. And they were like, it was awful. And I'm like, that's why I don't remember it. It was right. awful. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think one of the things about the challenges are the things that define us though, right. And, and make us grow. And so I think that in the beginning, you know, going from having every single role in the company, making every single thing that, that was distributed to, you know, and then evolving that role and bringing people in and like the, just the constant evolution of, of my role, I think has been a challenge, but has been the biggest gift at the same time. And gosh, I mean, one of the, I guess it was three years ago, we lost one of our dear, dear employees to cancer. And that, that was a really tough part of the business. I mean, we had kind of just, we were in this inflection point where, where we brought, his name was Brandon and we brought him into the business and he was, such a positive influence and and helped us at a moment where we needed to like really start having a leadership team. I guess this I guess it was four four years ago. I'm lost track of time. But yeah, he he had this great influence where we started integrating the values of the company more into the way that we were working and just yeah, we grew up a little bit. And so that that was such so awesome. And we only got to work with him for six months. And then he was wow. six months and passed away. And that was just so sorry. devastating for the company. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, it been. Yeah. yeah. So when I think, you know, and then that brought me back into running operations for an entire year, because it was like, how do you how do you hire someone when you have this person that was so fantastic? And so it took us a really long time to find someone who, who we felt comfortable with. And so that, you know, just, I think balancing the needs of the company and the role that I am in and was in that's, that's tough, but it definitely is made me a better person. I think. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it must, that must've been, I mean, that's not something that most people deal with. Like there are challenges and ups and downs, but that's something that, must have been so awful to deal with and then move on from. And then not too long after, right into COVID, I, I suspect, right? Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, I guess a year later. And so, yeah, um, 
you know, COVID has been interesting for every company in its own way. It was, you know, of course the culture part of it was, was tough. Everybody working from home because we have a really tight team and like just, we all feed off of each other's energy so much. And I think that we could sustain that with, with zoom for, for a while, but then I definitely felt like that you couldn't keep the momentum up for, for the two years. Yeah. But it, we were we were really fortunate because when COVID happened, everybody went to grocery stores and started shopping in the frozen set. And, you know, they were only you're only allowed to buy four pizzas at once because you couldn't keep pizza yeah. on the shelf. So in that way, we were we were fortunate. You probably got exposed to a lot of consumers you wouldn't have. Right. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And have you guys raised, I assume you've raised capital multiple times, but have you done a bunch? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we've raised capital multiple times. Actually, when you were talking about that five years ago, Regenerative was on the fringe, it made me think that about our, so our angel investor's name is Cameron Smith. And he was one of the investors in Epic bars early Mm -hmm. on. And he was the first person who I ever spoke to about regenerative agriculture. And I feel like from behind the scenes, he's influenced yeah. these businesses that he was involved in. I feel a lot of gratitude to That's him. Awesome. For that. Yeah. I would imagine that you guys, you have a really specific culture that feels like you built it on purpose. And I, I would imagine that as you're raising capital, you really have to keep that in mind and make sure you get the right, right investors. Definitely. I yeah. mean, we, you know, Ben, Ben has always been at the forefront of raising money for the business, which I, I really appreciate. And he's very good at telling the the brand story. And we've been very selective in the partners that we've brought on. And, you know, there's been times where, where we wait for an uncomfortable amount of time to bring someone yeah. to the business because it's so, it's so critical that you are aligned on the vision and that, you know, in the hard times, things um, that you're that that you're supportive of each other in the hard times, and I think that's that's hard to find in a partner. And we're we've been really fortunate with the the folks that we've worked with. That's incredible. What are the things that you're thinking about? Where do you want to be in five years? Well, I you know in terms of of new products because that is the thing you know we're excited about the products that we've launched in the beginning, but we have a line of keto topped pizzas that are totally fantastic. I don't, I, the low carb pizzas that are on the market are taste like they're low carb, I would say, and maybe not even like pizza, but we've been, we were able to develop a recipe using turnips as the base ingredient. And that is, yeah. And it's a really like, it was kind of this breakthrough moment for us when we realized that turnips have like all this nutritional value, they're very low carb and that they have an also a pretty neutral flavor. So they work very well as a, as a pizza crust. And yeah, so that feels, and, and nobody's really using them. They're this underappreciated oh. crop, which I yeah. want to see a lot more of them grown here in this country, but yeah, so that, so that, that line, it comes in a black box. Like we're kind of differentiating our, you know, almond flour line, our original line with this like black box, low carb line of pizzas. And I just, I think that they're fantastic. And if we can just get people to try them, then they're, uh, they're going to keep eating them. So that's an interesting one. I'm curious. I'm going to, I'm, I'm 
curious. I'll follow up with you to hear what the response is to that. Cause that's very different. Yeah. Like, people are used to different kinds of flowers now and they're used to cauliflower crust, but turnips, I don't even think people are used to turnips at all. Yeah. And they're not. And that's definitely, you know, one of those things where we're like, we don't want to scare people off by the sound of a turnip, because I think most people, a lot of people probably couldn't tell you what a turnip tastes like. Right. So yeah, we're, you know, we're hoping to bring people into this line of products and have them try it and see that turnips are, you know, even have less of a notable flavor than cauliflower. And so it's definitely a real pizza, yet it's healthy. Really? Oh my gosh. And the cool thing too, um, is that we're using whole turnips. So it's not like a turnip that was turned into a flower and then was rehydrated for an ingredient. What most people are doing with their vegetable pizzas. That's, we're not doing that because we feel like, you know, we stand behind using whole food ingredients and having them be as unaltered as possible. And so that's something that I'm, I feel proud of that we were able to accomplish. And when did those launch? They launched at the end of last year. Okay. Yep. And yeah. And so we're just starting to get more and more distribution on those lines. And we have a pepperoni, um, low carb pepperoni pizza on the turnip crust launching. I think this I year. tried that. I don't think I tried that. Really? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I had pizza and I didn't really, t- I was sort of like wandering around trying to wait for you guys to get free. And so I just kept going up and eating pizza, which is terrible, but I did. And I don't know, maybe I did and didn't. And wouldn't that be amazing if I didn't even know it? Cause I know what I ate was delicious, but it, it might've been. It might've been. Yeah. We were sampling a lot of it at Expo. That is <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. And so how has the response been so far? It's been really good. Yeah. People yeah. are, people are loving it. That's so cool. And how do you get the word out about that? Do you have to educate on turnips or are you just not? Yeah, I think that there is a little education on turnips, but yeah, I I mean, our marketing, our marketing crew is just fantastic. And they're really like bringing to life all of the great ingredients that we're using by doing like, you know, we're, we really love doing the realistic photography. Yeah. And so really highlighting that in in social media and actually like having those images brought onto the packaging is part of of what we're doing to educate folks. And yep. so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's definitely, yeah, we're trying to really tell people that this is an ingredient story when it comes to Capello's, like the, yeah. we don't use very many ingredients and the ones that we use, we're really proud of. And so as, as much as we can highlight that we're, we're doing our best to do so. That's super cool. If I were to ask you to give some advice to people who are at the beginning of their journey, or maybe a little bit less far along than you are, what would you say? Like, what have you learned that's so important that you want people not to do or to do differently? Or I, I love to jump into all the details of like little mistakes not to make, but that we could just talk about that for the next four hours. But I think that the advice mostly is with the inner world. You know, I, I think that when you, you have a, a brand and you have any company, you're going to face a lot of challenges. And for me, it's been one of the greatest experiences in my life because I've, you know, I've kind of always been on a, a, a path of finding more inner peace. And then when you create a company, it 
creates all this chaos at times in the outer world. And really the only way you can, I can handle it is by having more peace in the inner world. And so, you know, maybe the advice from that is to try to not react when there's problems because there's always problems. (laughs) And maybe, I don't want to say not react, but like, you know, know that this problem will pass too. And not, you know, if I, if I look back at the stress that I experienced, you know, I think I going back now, I would try to have a different relationship with that stress. That's really good advice. I had my, my old CEO used to say this too shall pass all the time. And I was like, Oh my God, he's saying it again. And now (laughs) I think it all the time. You have to, or you can't, if you don't, if you can't get to the point where you say, okay, I know this is a thing, but it's not going to be a thing in two weeks you can't, how could you get through it? Right. Yeah, Cause exactly. everything would be a mountain. You'd be constantly climbing mountains and you'd never get a, a brain rest or a body rest or anything. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think the, the more you can get through stuff and, and feel well, the better your relationship will be with what you're doing. And then you can have more success. Yeah. yeah. Are you having fun with this? Is this fun for you still? Yeah, it is fun. The first few years were not fun. Mm-hmm. I w- it was they were some of the most not fun <laughs> years of my life, to be honest. Um, but uh, now that we have a team around us that is so fun to work with and so smart and positive and just that that changes everything. And so I'm so grateful for those years of not being able to have a team and like just grinding so that we could get to the point where we would have a team and have some shared responsibility so that we can have fun. And I, yeah, I, I, I really do enjoy it now. That's awesome. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I mean, this has gone by and like, I feel like we've only been talking for two minutes, but we've actually almost talked for 40 minutes. So anything else that you want to share um, about what's next for you guys or anything before we wrap? Um, no, I, this has been a really good conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Same here. Me too. I really appreciate it. And I, and I think that my listeners are also going to appreciate it because there are like you said, there are times when it's just not fun, but worth it. Yeah. Worth it. And not being also, I I think the other thing is not being afraid to ask questions. That's a good one. I'm going to tell you a quick story because it really inspired me and I've, I've never been particularly good at asking for help. You know, I didn't grow up in a house where that was modeled for me. And my, my brother was telling me the other day that his his daughter, her name's Jam, she was doing some sort of like outdoor education thing with her class. And one of the the things that they were doing, right? They they were blind, they blindfolded the kids and they were like, they put them into this area where they were like, okay, now you're you're blindfolded, got to figure out where the door is to get out. Right. And they emphasize and just let us know if you need help. Just raise your hand and let us know if you need help. And so they, you know, the kids start bumbling around and Jam was the first one. She raised her hand and was like, I need help. And that was how you got out. And so it was like, ask the question until you ask for help, you're not going to be able to get out. That's amazing. That's so awesome. It's so simple. Isn't it? I thought that was really cool. And that, that that she was able to ask for help and not like in my, when I was her age, I probably would have been the last one in that that area looking forever. So yeah. Cause you wait and you try to figure it out. And sometimes you, well, not only 
sometimes you can't, but you don't have to. You don't have to. And there's resources out there and people that really want to help, you know? So yeah, that's the coolest part about, I think, I think I told you last time we talked, I I've, I pivoted our company to focus on health and wellness brands. And um, I think one of the most interesting things about that is that there are so many people who want people to eat better Mm -hmm. and they want to help the people who are making things for people to eat better. And so there is no shortage of mentors or people willing to give really good advice. And I love that about this part of the business because that's not true in big CPG. It's just not true. People are scared and they're afraid that they're going to get, you know, badly talked about because they didn't know something in a big company. But I think in the early to mid-stage startups, especially around health and wellness brands, I think there's just so many people who want to help. And I love that. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think when we have the shared purpose of helping people heal themselves from food, why would we feel like competitors versus just like all in this together, trying to shift the food system together? I love that. Yep. I think that's true. That's awesome. Well, that's a great story to end on. That's one of my favorite stories I've heard. So that's cool. Well, thanks for doing what you do. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.